tips, tricks, and sips is what we serve up here at Marketing Tip Tea Time. And I am really excited about the guest today. Let me tell you, uh, uh, we actually made a little bit of a misstep when we were getting all of the questions for him. And it sort of blew my mind the way that this person thinks about marketing. And, you know, we're, you're just going to have to sit back and really enjoy this show, take it in, probably watch it a couple of times because I think it's going to be a very, very informative and complex show. And today we have on the show, Jamin Warren, and he is the CEO and founder at 256, a strategic consultancy that helps brands engage in the world of gaming. His work helps companies reach the right gaming audience on the right platform with the right message. Please welcome Jamin Warren. Here he is. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. How are, thank you for being on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah. Now, yeah. happy let, to be here. Let me let me tell you. I just I was so excited about you, about learning about what you've done and your company. Um, as as I was telling Jamin right before the show, there's not a lot where I get super surprised anymore with all the amount of interviews we've done and. Um, there was some information that we got on Jamin and his company that really sort of blew my mind as far as looking at marketing and, and it's, it's going to be really cool. So I'm excited to dive into that. But before we do that, I'm going to dive into this tea that we sent you. This is Oliver Pluff and company from Charleston. And it is a, an Earl gray that smells very Earl gray. E. <laughs> yeah i got mine here so yeah <laughs> perfect and and you're a fan of earl gray yeah you know earl gray lady gray you know the whole gray family big big fan yeah. I, I mean i just love the like the citrus and like that floral notes i, I just i remember the yeah. first time i went to england and had like uh you know earl gray with you know with milk that was like a game i was like whoa you put milk in tea and just yep. that's been a it's been a go-to for me like you know most mornings I'll, I'll i'll pop some open so yeah definitely a favorite oh, wow. of mine that's that's awesome so i just we always i always steep it right on the show so i'm wow it is this is gonna be i think a strong one i don't know what <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah definitely five, five minutes, minutes don't do any longer than five minutes i'd say okay per <laughs> perfect perfect all right i'm starting the timer now just to make sure uh we get that on time now, as I'm diving into the questions, the first ones are just this or that, very rapid fire. You don't have to really sure. think about it or explain yourself. You can if you'd like, but you don't have to. Um, we have more than usual because there was just so much on Jamin that I was excited about. So sure. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna dive in here. Blender or Unity? Oh, let's see. Uh, I'll, go, I'll go with Unity. I'll go with Unity. Not a game dev okay. myself, but I'm a big fan of many things made with Unity. Wow, fantastic. All right, so how many titles has Mario been in over the last 30 years? Oh, man. I'm going to go with uh, over, I don't know, 110? Over 100? <laughs> so the, the, this is a great question because you actually answered this question on your show that we're going to oh, really? talk on about. The... Yeah, <laughs> this, this was, it was seven years ago that he answered okay. this question yeah, yeah. on his own show. So um, yeah, it was like 300, I think, is what you said. Oh man. In the... well, <laughs> yep. I... And then uh, what does the term locked in mean? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, locked in typically is like when you're playing a competitive comp competition of any type, you're locked in, you're really focused, like you're ready, you're um, in the zone is another way to sort of think about that. But if you're locked in, um, okay. as opposed to locked on, which is like a gaming mechanic that you use to, you know, basically lock your cursor on something that's happening on screen. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and then what's one book that every marketer should read? Let's see. Uh, I have two. Is that okay? I mean, one is, yeah, um, I think, fine. Agency agency by Rick Webb, um, which I enjoyed immensely. For anyone who wants to start a creative agency and doesn't know how, it's all the operational side of how those things work. Um, and then the second one is The Art of Client Service by Robert Solomon. Um, accounts, particularly when you're small, I mean, so much of what you do is account relationships. And he does a great job of breaking down like what constitutes a, you know, a good account relationship and how to structure that and what you should do. And there's lots of great, lots of great adages in it for anyone who's thinking about, you know, being in the marketing services field, regardless of your discipline. That's cool. That's cool. All right. Write those down, everyone. If you're, yeah. if you're watching, um, and then your favorite video game. Let's see. I don't have a favorite per se. Um, the one I've played recently that I really loved was Miles Morales. So that's a bit of a oh, No, that's actually not true. Okay. Um, I'd say Limbo is probably probably my favorite game of all time. It was done by a, a Danish studio called Play Dead. Um, just really expanded what I thought you could do with like platforming games, the art style, just everything about it. It's really, really spectacular. That's cool. That's cool. That's awesome. All right. Now we're, we're going to start to dive into it. We alluded to it a little bit earlier, um, but you know, Jamin actually had a show that was on, I believe, uh, PBS online. It was like a YouTube show. Uh, yeah, I was a YouTuber. <laughs> called, called Game Show, Game Slash Show, get it? Because it was about gaming. And uh, I dove into, I kind of got lost. I, I watched a lot of them because they were very engaging. And uh, he, let me, you've done a whole lot of stuff, essentially. You, uh, were a Wall Street Journal reporter and you were on this game show and then you have Kill Screen and then you have um, 256. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey? And some of it yeah. seems maybe a little disconnected, but I'm sure it all comes together. Yeah, just kind of tell us how you got from, from Wall Street uh, Journal to where you're at now. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Well, I started as a, uh, a reporter at the Wall Street Journal at the ripe age of 23. I was covering arts and entertainment for them for a couple years, and it was right around that time. So this was 2008. Um, you had a lot of things that were happening in the game space. So I was an entertainment person, and I figured like, hey, I should be writing about what's happening in gaming because, uh, you know, you had the PlayStation 3 had just come out, the Xbox 360, the Nintendo Wii, um, in addition to all of these like new digital platforms, things like Farmville, but you also have like Roblox. Oh, yeah, Farmville. Right around that time. Um, you know, Fortnite isn't much later. There's a lot of the games that we think of now, Minecraft, that were released right around that time period. So I thought, hey, you know, I'm writing about other forms of entertainment. I should just write about games too. Unfortunately, my my editor didn't see things the same way that I did. He was like, oh. I don't get this games thing. And so they shuffled me off to cover television, which apparently was another, you know, cultural backwater to my editor. And so like any uh, 
like any disgruntled 20 something, I was like, I'm going to start my own media company, which I did. It was called Kill Screen. It launched on Kickstarter in Kickstarter's first year, back when that was a new project, a uh, new, new product. And uh, we raised a couple thousand dollars and started with the print magazine. The print magazine became um, a daily website. Daily website became a, a set of partnerships with you know companies like Pitchfork. We did the first ever arcade at the Museum of Modern Art. Um, it was a beloved business. And uh, but it, you know, like many bootstrapped entrepreneurs, particularly in the media space, it's really it's really really hard. It's no different then right. as it was today. And so um, we had started getting calls um, around 2015 from brands and agencies that were interested in what was happening in gaming, but didn't really know where to get started. And so since I had not worked at an advertising agency and I hadn't really done too much brand work, I didn't really know what ostensibly I should be selling them aside from like, you can pay me to give a talk or you can buy some ads with Kill Screen. And so we started 256 um, as a strategic consultancy to you know basically work with brands and help them with that big question of like, how do you go about reaching gamers? And so we do research, um, strategy, and creative execution for lots of different clients, um, you know, Intel, uh, YouTube, SoundCloud, Warby Parker. Um, we've worked with a lot of different types of companies. Spin Master, we work with on their League of Legends toys. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. And yeah, our specialty is really working with companies that maybe don't have the in-house or partner expertise to do something in the gaming space. And so they call us in basically to say like, hey, you can be our consigliere, help us guide what we're supposed to do because it's a, it's an enormous space. And so having someone who really knows it super well is really useful because, you know, as many people suspect, like can be an unforgiving space. Uh, so if you right. don't really, you know, come correct, you're likely to really suffer. So um, that's a place where we get those calls from someone who's like, ah, yeah, you know, I, I know gaming is a big opportunity for us, but we're just not really able to take the next step. And that's where we ultimately step in. So it's all been in the media and wow. communication space. And the through line has been, you know, gaming for the last the last 15 years. So um, it's uh, in the macro is was a great decision. Gaming obviously continues to grow year over year. And so yeah. Um, it's been really exciting to kind of like watch that space develop and now to see how brands are approaching it and finding ways to reach their audiences through, particularly with, you know, Gen Z, which is, it's a premier, it's a primary communications channel. It's a pr primary social place destination. It's a primary identity marker for basically everyone younger than me. And so helping walk older, you know, CMOs like through that process has been a lot of fun. Wow. Okay. So were you into gaming before? you sort of fell into it at the Wall Street Journal? Were you sort of already in that realm? Yeah, yeah, you know, Personally. it's funny. Okay. Yes and no. I, like I had grown up, you know, I was a, you know, I'm an 80s kid. So, you know, Nintendo and Sega were obviously like a huge part of my upbringing. My parents actually didn't let me have video games in the house, um, which I found out later was not because <laughs> they had something against video games, but I was not very good with like sharing. And so my parents were like, no, we're not gonna get a video game console because we don't trust that you'll share with your brother. <laughs> Um, wow. In college, you know, I played a ton of mostly Nintendo 64. Smash Brothers was like a huge part of okay. my college experience. And then after I graduated, you know, it's funny, I, I don't, you know, if I hadn't started that job at the Wall Street Journal and I wasn't getting like free video games and getting free game consoles to cover them, I'm not sure what my relationship to games um, would have been. Because I do find with people like my peers, it kind of goes either direction. They've either stuck with it. Um, or they or they play games. Um, but yeah, I was always someone who was like interested in playing games and played a ton. Um, and then obviously since then, you know, I try to play games almost every single day. Wow, that 
So you really did sort of have this love that you nurtured and, and you already really understood this demographic, which I want to point out to our audience, usually the, the usual way that we see marketing companies work is they choose a vertical or an industry yeah. that they're going to be working in. Um, you have changed that. You flipped that on its head and you said, no, no, no. Where you come to us when you want to reach this target audience, yeah. which is gamers. Can you tell me a little bit about how being, you know, instead of vertically integrated in that sense, the horizontal yes yeah. of that. Can you tell me how that how that works and how you sort of came to to that conclusion that that is what you wanted to build? Yeah. You know, it's funny. We originally, um, we were vertically structured. So the focus was going to be on video game companies. Um, and the thing that we found was there were two things. Um, one is the video game industry is very small. Uh, it's not very large. And so um, even though it generates billions of dollars a year, you know, there are, um, you know, there are roughly, you know, there's 250,000 people in the United States who work in the video game industry in some shape or capacity um, compared to film where you have like, you know, three, five million people who work in that space. So yeah. that's the first thing is just from a business development standpoint. Um, you know, a friend of mine describes it as the world's largest cottage industry. Uh, and so, so that was the first thing. And then the second thing was, um, you know, from a services standpoint, the thing that we find a lot of game companies and publishers, what they buy is you know they buy they work with influencers they do paid media if they're on the mobile side of the equation uh, and then they also do some of the you know obviously some of the larger companies sony microsoft they'll do you know basically you know brand level brand campaign level stuff and a lot of that has to do with like the history of how video games have been sold um traditionally video game companies don't think of themselves as like d2c they really don't think of themselves as selling directly to consumers that's changed some in the last you know five mm -hmm. to ten years but for the most part the bones of that industry, it's really like a retail and partner marketplace where they're accustomed to selling through previously big box stores. So, you know, Best Buy or GameStop or whatever, and then through digital distribution platforms. So things like Steam. Um, and if you're not like a first party, if you're not like a Sony or a Microsoft or a Nintendo, if you're just an independent games publisher, you may not got you may not get a lot of visibility into like what's happening when someone hears about your game and then purchases it. So they spend a lot of time and effort on you know PR influencer stuff, anything they can do to influence people coming into their funnel, and then some stuff on the back end. Not all game companies are like that, but there was a mismatch between what I was interested in from a services standpoint and what those companies offered. The other thing about being horizontally positioned, I mean, there's some good things and bad things about being horizontally positioned, but um, one of the great things is that it gives us the ability to work with very large companies. So the companies I mentioned, you know, YouTube, yeah. um, Intel, um, because we're not trying to own the entirety of their relationship. So there are AORs that almost always work above us or existing relationships. We can come in as a specialist, work with those folks, um, help educate them, work alongside them, review creative, whatever that might be. And we're not a threat there because, you know, ultimately I'm not looking to be the, you know, global um, global agency of record for, you know, a Fortune you know, 5 or Fortune 500 company. We're looking to just focus on gaming. Um, the other thing that's really cool about being horizontally positioned is it allows us to work across a wide variety of industries. So we've done some stuff at Ecom, we've done some stuff in retail, um, we've done some stuff, you know, with with products and services, we've done some stuff on the, you know, consumer marketing. I mean, it allows us to basically work across a variety of uh, a variety of industries. The challenges are really around just finding you know, really about finding clients who are there at the right moment at the right time. Yeah. So because the thing that we're offering is the chance to speak to gamers in a natural and authentic way. And 
not that's not an, it's not an ever present need that someone necessarily has if you're on the marketing side. Whereas there are some other shops that focus on something that clients are always going to need. Ours tends to be there's a moment that's open. There's an opportunity for you to do something, and you need to call someone to help you out. So um, that's the I'd say probably the biggest the biggest challenge around being horizontally positioned is you know it can be uh, more of a challenge. There's not like a conference that you can go to for you know potential non-gaming <laughs> brands that are interested in reaching gamers. Um, so right. it does mean we have to be a little bit creative in terms of you know how we find new clients and um, how we work with them long term. Right. So how take me through? Is it sort of the brand realizes one day? we should be focusing on gamers as one of our targets or is it sort of you saying you should be focusing on gamers yeah. or is it a mix of both where maybe the cmos like oh gamers that's a big industry it's a you know there, there's a lot of them um and then they sort of go online and they see the the great blogs you've written that are on your website and they go oh okay maybe maybe this is a solution i mean how 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 do you find that moment? Because it feels like that window is so small when somebody yeah. starts to realize that they need to focus on this demographic. Yeah, I mean, patience is really helpful. You know, I've been uh, been an entrepreneur working for myself for um, 13 years now. So that's definitely something that, you know, for any business owner, patience is really important. Um, one thing I'd say at a high level is uh, when I started uh, initially with Killscreen and then later with 256, I really underestimated the extent to which, you know, I, I'm, I turned... 40 last year. And so I'm a, you know, cusper, I'm in between the millennial and uh, Gen X, you know, I'm at the, you know, at the older end, those older millennials. And yeah. so I really underestimated the extent to which the energy and momentum was going to be for people younger than me. And I also underestimated how long it takes for industry decision makers to change. And so Early on, I was in a very evangelistic point of view. I would go do cold calls. I'd try to talk to as many people as possible around games. And then each year that passed, each year that the average age of someone who plays games kept ticking up. When I started, it was 33, maybe 34, 35. Now it's 39, right? It's basically the average age of you know a person, uh, someone who's alive you know, in the United States, for example. Um, as that has started to grow, that's where we started seeing more movement because what was happening was, um, you know, older decision makers, when they were having kids and they were seeing how dedicated their kids were to playing video games, things like Roblox, Minecraft, mm. Fortnite, and, you know, older marketers, they get nervous about what kids are up to and they're like, do we, are we on top of like what's happening here? And so that's been really um, helpful in terms of um, people, you know, my age who are now decision makers who control budget, who, also having people who've grown up playing video games have a personal attachment you find the best clients are ones that actually enjoy playing games it's not something that their bosses like ask them to do they have some kind of like emotional investment to it um that that, that has really helped out a lot um the stage for clients i'd say there, there's three process there's three steps one is just recognizing that games are a big deal and believe it or not that has taken a lot longer than you might think it's funny the new york times just this past week published published something in which they described something along the lines of like only recently video games were up, up, up until recently games were a niche hobby only interesting to children which is like <laughs> what? not true for 20 years yeah no dead serious you can look it up in the year wow. 2023 you know this is from new york times the paper record they're describing video games is only recently being only for kids and so but that thinking is you know it takes time to outgrow that and so one thing that really changed was the pandemic in terms of um, getting folks who maybe don't have an emotional or personal investment in video games. They saw how big gaming had become 
during that period. So things like Animal Crossing or the Fortnite activations or uh, Pokemon Go or whatever it might be, people are seeing that. They're like, okay, maybe I don't really like video games, but I can't really deny that gaming is a really big deal. The second stage is acknowledging that games are a big deal and then saying like, hey, there's an impact on my business here. And then the third stage is acknowledging the first two things, games are a big deal, they are going to have an impact on my business and I know what I want to do. We find the best clients are kind of in that second layer where they've acknowledged that gaming is going to be important to them and their business, but they're not quite sure about how to take the next step. Mostly because um, they're in a place where they can be shaped and we can help push them away from low hanging, perceived low hanging fruit, for example. Um, but that's often the process that clients have gone through. Thankfully, I don't meet a lot of people for whom I'm having to convince them that gaming is a really big deal. That's much less common. I mean, if someone's being intellectually honest about it, I don't really see that very often anymore. But um, right. getting people to say like, to make the bridge that gap between like acknowledging that games are a big deal and then seeing gamers in their own audience that takes a bit more time. And so sometimes it takes a little bit more convincing either through content marketing or through speaking engagements, podcasts like this, um, where it takes a little bit more wow. time for some of the connected dots between the dollar signs that they're seeing in the gaming space, um, the activity that they might be seeing with younger folks and how it might influence their business. And more importantly, like how they can tap into that because it's going to be different from uh, from company to company. Wow. That, that, is, that is some great insight there. Uh, and, you know, as you said, you've worked with some some just gigantic brands, uh, including like Warby Parker, SoundCloud, Google, uh, YouTube. Can you can you tell me a bit about how you engage gamers and what sort of strategies and tactics you use to connect these brands with that audience? Yeah, absolutely. Without spilling all your tea, obviously, but yeah. <laughs> No, that's okay. I mean, a lot of this is on our on our website too, so it's not a you know it's not a it's not purely an open secret. Um, you know, I'd say the big thing is you know we put we put clients through a, a frameworks process that's modeled after board games, um, and it does a couple different things. I mean, one big thing that we help clients with is understanding who their audience is, and the reason I say I say that it sounds straightforward is that we often find that there's a perception that gamers are some audience that exists out there and you have to like go find them, right? They're on an island somewhere and they need someone to help build a ship to help take them to that island. And the reality is that, you know, we're moving every day that passes, we're moving out of a world where people ask, do you play games? And we're moving into a world where we ask, what games do you play? And so that's the first big thing that we do yeah. with clients. It's like audience research, establishing what are the ways, what are the games that you, you know, basically that your audience is already playing? I had a good conversation with a woman who runs a, a fashion line and she was telling me she really wanted to get into Fortnite. And I was like, well, tell me a little bit about your audience. And she's like, well, it's mostly women in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. And I was like, they play games, but it's probably not going to be Fortnite. So let's look at some other things that you could do. I steered her towards like focus on social channels, for example, where you can do some tests around engagement as it relates to gaming around your existing audience. So that's the first big thing, just making sure that you understand that your audience is not out there. It exists in your current cohort, which is a strength that you have. You understand that audience incredibly well. The second big thing is around fit. One of the things that we find is that there's you need to have marketing, organizational, and audience fit. So that audience fit piece is the thing that I kind of talked about, but the organizational fit is really important as well. Having senior stakeholders bought in to doing something inside of gaming 
incredibly important. Um, that's definitely seen that where there's a disconnect where either someone in senior management wants to do something with gaming and it's not bought in throughout the marketing organization or vice versa. It's a younger crop. They want to do something in gaming, but there's reticence to do that fear, whatever that might be. Um, that last piece is the, is, is the marketing fit, which is like, do you have the capabilities to be able to do the kinds of things that will sort of match up with those two? So one thing I see a lot is that clients will say like, oh, I want to make a video game. Big no-no. Um, you're trying to make a video game oh. and sell it to the, one of the most sophisticated audiences in the planet. It's like, you know, if you're trying to reach country music bands, you don't need to make a country music record, right? It's, it's exactly the same thing with gaming. So that's the other thing too. Now, there, there are some organizations that do have the ability to do that. So Peloton, for example, released a game inside of their um, bikes. That was a game that they released. So they have the ability to make something like that push it out to um, their existing customers. But a lot of companies don't do that. So that's the other thing too, is just making sure that as a marketing organization, you have the ability to do something impactful that's within your budget, your scope, your abilities, because you know doing stuff in the game space, there's a lot of things that you can do that are easy and there's a lot of things that you can do. There's a lot of things you can do that are easy, cheap and effective <laughs> and a lot of things that you can do that are um, are very hard. And, those, and, and that's not always obvious in terms of like what the turnkey types of things are gonna be versus the things that are gonna right. be um, very, very long. Um, the last thing that we do for clients is like really help them establish like a plan. So once you've kind of put that audience and fit stuff together at the end of the day, you're going to need a plan in terms of like how you're actually like going to take things to market. So that means helping them with channel selection. Where are you actually going to place advertising? How are you going to do things? Um, it might mean what kinds of partnerships you're going to set up. That's the other thing too in the games space. There are places where you can go to partner with people, whether that's on the influencer side or on the games publisher side. But sometimes you just need direction. You need someone to tell you, you should focus on this. Don't focus on that. Structure ask yeah. this way, don't structure ask that way. Um, it's just we're helping basically help helping elucidate for them, give them some clarity about like, hey, you can do stuff in gaming, but you need someone to basically help you along the way. So those are the three big things that we basically help clients. And at the end of the day, sometimes they tap us to do creative execution to help bring that to market. Sometimes they want us to stick around to review whatever their internal creative services team. One big thing about us is that we're agnostic about actually going into the implementation stage because we ultimately want what's best for clients. So we're, we don't we don't think of ourselves as saying like, hey, once you engage us, you have to take the entire road with us. Sometimes uh, the SoundCloud project that we did, that was just a research project. They have an excellent internal creative services team that were ready to take it the rest of the, the way. We did some work with Google wow. Play. Yeah. We did the research and strategy piece, but the implementation side was done by another agency. So we're, we want what's best for clients. We're not always going to be the best partner, but our big thing is just making sure that you have like the right game plan. Cause if you don't have the right game plan, then anything else that follows is uh, if it works, then you won't know why. And if it doesn't work, then you won't know why either. Wow. So, okay. So what kind of tools do you use to help to identify the segments within gaming? Because, you know, I think this is sort of opening up my eyes that yeah, ga gaming is huge. There are segments within gaming and segments within segments. Um, how do you slice and dice all that data? What sort of tools do you use to figure that out? Yeah, I mean, we do, um, you know, we use surveys, um, you know, focus groups, um, you know, customer interviews. Um, a lot of what makes this work or not work has comes down to screeners. So when you're doing audience research, for example, you know, one of the things that we find, and we started some, we, we finished some research up actually last year that looked at this, is it can be really hard to define gamers as an audience because um, you can ask people straight up, are you a gamer? But that might be different from if they play games. Those are different things. And so we sort of think about like when you're mm -hmm. thinking about those audience questions from the jump, 
you really do need screeners. And that's why the expertise piece is so important to help differentiate from someone who maybe doesn't self-identify as a gamer, but spends a ton of time playing games. We like to think of you know, the gaming audience when you're thinking about them from, a, from an audience perspective, there's, there's three main markers for it. You have activity, you have identity, and then you have affinity. Activity is the one that most people are familiar with. Do you play games, right? Like yes or no, that's like kind of, and then you, you can deter, determine the extent of how long do you play games for. The, um, the identity piece is really interesting because that's that, do you self-identify as a gamer? That's another, that's another sort of input into the process. The affinity piece is also super important because we're finding more and more, um, you know, as games, games are forward-looking in so many ways, but in many other ways, they've often been behind. So the social layer for games that's existed with like board games and Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. But you know, re it's really only recently with cross-platform games that you really are starting to see um, a lot more like social activity around people using games like Fortnite, Minecraft as social spaces. So you really want to figure mm. out, you know, at the inner, you know, basically, if you're thinking about all three of those as being like ways in which someone could be a gamer. It can be really valuable for a brand to understand how they fit into that, you know, into that matrix. Because it very well might be that you are targeting an audience that spends a significant amount of their social time with other people who play games. They um, they are spending a significant amount of time playing games themselves, but they don't self-identify as a gamer. Or vice versa, you may have someone who self-identifies as a gamer, gamer through and through. They've got T-shirts and everything. They really self-identify as a gamer. But because of like a life stage thing, for example, I have a I have a one year old daughter, for example, they just don't have enough time. So if you do a survey that says yeah. like, hey, look, how often do you play games? That's going to be a different question from whether or not someone self identifies as a gamer. And a lot of times when we see like missteps around people um, when they market to gamers, usually it has to do with messing up one of those things that like not really understanding, um, not really understanding. Because what you know, it's funny we we finished a bunch of research and we were looking at. Um, amongst a cohort of people, all of whom would be traditionally defined as like gamers, we used average retail price. That was the big driver for us. How much money are people spending on games? One of the things that we found, like with game genres, for example, was that the most loved and the most hated game genres were exactly the same amongst people who play games. So wow. there are people who love Battle Royale type games or people who love RPGs. And there's another group of people who hate those games as well. And so you see sometimes clients will say like, oh, we really want to target this particular game universe or this particular game community. We really want to do something with esports or whatever it might be. And it's like, you just need to make sure that's backed up by research because you may be thinking, oh, I'm actually attempting to reach everyone in my you know, perspective cohort, but actually you're turning off this whole other group of people who have no interest in that. And so you just have to be, you know, that's why the research piece is incredibly important, but that's kind of how we approach like from an audience perspective, it's like with a lot of care, but it does require sort of understanding some of the contours. If you think of gaming as a culture, then there are all of these individual subcultures underneath it. And you just need to identify like which sub subculture are you specifically into? Um, but yeah, that's, that's how we've been thinking. Wow. Wow. That is freaking cool <laughs> that is so cool um so you have all this experience and, and you've obviously built a very very unique agency that is that is so niche that it sort of blew my mind and 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 turned turned my brain upside down for thinking about how we market um a, you know a huge portion of the our audience who watches this show are our students or people who are looking to get into marketing what yeah. would you say is a key skill or something that people should be doing now to prepare themselves to like work for you, to, to work at your company or, or to do something like what you're doing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, let's see. Um, I mean, research is really helpful regardless of the role. Um, just finding ways to 
um, really understand a problem uh, without there necessarily being a, a roadmap. We, you know, point to, you've probably seen this before. It's like, a, like the draw the owl. Sometimes I, I've seen that around where, you know, step one yeah. is, you know, step one is, you know, draw, here's a picture of an owl. And then step two is like, draw the, draw the freaking owl, right? So a lot of times <laughs> we're approaching problems that don't necessarily have like step-by-step -step instructions. And so I think getting used to and, and accustomed to um, researching sometimes opaque asks, I think that can be really useful. The other big thing is learning to be an ambassador, which means speaking languages, um, speaking multiple, not like actual, you know, like, you know, Spanish or French or whatever that might be, but learning how to be a translator between um, particularly things that are high context to people with low context. And what I mean is we often get people that apply that know a ton about games, but they really struggle to take the things they know about games and make them palpable for clients because clients are always, mm -hmm. clients know a ton about their own business, but they don't know a ton about gaming. And so you often have to find ways to basically take, compress, take all the thing that's, things that you've learned and figure out like what kind of information is gonna be relevant to help clients solve a particular problem. That's not unique to games per se. Um, you see this around like, I think you definitely see this with like Web3 or crypto or like where there's like all this language that happens and then interpreting that for somebody else, sometimes it's perceived like you just need to get on my level. I think it's a great skill to figure out like, hey, look, you need to look at it through the lens of who your clients are and how they're approaching their problems and then mm -hmm. translate. And so being, able, being conversant in both sides, that's definitely um, like that's definitely like a real skill. So those are two things that I definitely we really focus on um, in terms of like help, you know, when the client when, when, um, when we have students or anybody else who's thinking about like joining our company. Um, I think the last thing, honestly, is like, you know, if I had to make a prediction, um, I think that the the way in which we uh, I, I predict for our company in particular, we're really focused on gaming, and that's like a you know a niche. It's a very big niche, but it isn't you know as mm -hmm. far as the marketing goes. You know, it is a niche. We're horizontally positioned, but I'm convinced more and more that just understanding how to market to Gen Z in particular is really absolutely going to lean on a deep, deep understanding of like who gamers are as an audience. And so I wouldn't undersell the extent to which like. Um, native native understanding of games and game spaces is going to be a real asset in ways that I appreciate, but I think employers are going to learn to appreciate as well. So sometimes it may take time wow. to basically interpret like the things that you know as someone who knows and loves plays video games and showing someone how that's a marketable asset. And so that sometimes means like using the language of fandom. Sometimes it means adjusting the things that you do, talking about interactivity instead of video games specifically. Um, you know, I, I do, but I do think longer term the work that we're doing is going to become incorporated in the same way that, you know, social was a niche, right? Like social was like a yeah. thing that you specialized in as an agency or a discipline. And now it's just like, oh, that's just the air that we breathe. It's just like, you wouldn't think about that not being a part of a, a campaign plan is having something in there that is tied to a specific social platform. Um, so I think gaming long-term is going to be in the same, in the same category, but it ultimately will take time. <laughs> oh my gosh just a bunch of fantastic information we call it spilling the tear tea here on marketing tip yeah, time yeah. and uh you know i'm enjoying this earl gray it is one of the stronger earl grays that i've had actually very bergamonty like very bergamonty yes. yeah, yeah so yeah. um i'm glad that you know this got to you on time and thank you for being on the show today really we appreciate it and all of the information that you've given us um last question is well, I guess it's two questions. Any last things you want to say to our audience and then how can they connect with you? Oh, absolutely. Let's see. Um, last things to say to the audience. Um, I mean, I'd say, you know, we did some research recently 
around like uh, millennials. And one of the interesting things around like millennials, particularly older millennials, is that they're continuing to play games. And so I definitely just encourage people, regardless of your life stage, uh, make it a daily practice. That's something that you do. Um, incorporate it, incorporate friends, family, um, kids, if you have them. Definitely, I can say, like, be in the game space for the long term. I'm biased, obviously, but it's brought so much joy to my life. And uh, I've had, I have so many meaning memories, so, so many meaningful memories um, as a single player or playing with others that it's just, it's really impactful. Be that person in your friend group who's like curating board games. I have many of them behind me. Be that person who's bringing that stuff to, you know, that's such a needed, a needed skill and such a joy to see that. Um, LinkedIn is a great way to reach out to me. Um, just Jamin, J-A-M-I-N, uh, Warren, feel free to um, like send me a message uh, like on LinkedIn. Um, we publish a lot of insights and stuff on our blog. Um, so it's 256.co. So that's 256spelledout.co. But those would be the two ways that I'd say definitely you can reach out to certainly reach out to me. I'm I'm very easily Googleable. As far as I know, I'm, you know, there oh, yeah. are other Jamin Warrens, <laughs> I think, out there, but like uh, I definitely if you typed in Jamin Warren video games, I'm I'm pretty positive I'm the only one that you'll find. <laughs> yep, you come to the top. I'll, I'll tell you that. And, yeah, yeah. And with the show, I, I also I also encourage people to go check out that show that he had with PBS. Um, just packed full of information and I loved it. Um, so, you know, go connect with Jamin, go uh, look at 256 and please like, share, subscribe. If there was some information that you found useful on the show, please send that to people that you think will also find that information useful. And uh, if you know anybody that you think should be on the show because they're an expert in marketing in some way, shape or form, please reach out to us. Also, uh, please, if you want a specific type of tea or a specific topic to be talked about or sipped upon on the show, also send that to us. We are always trying to engage our audience and get real feedback and really make the show something special. Thank you to everyone who makes this show possible. Bike Shop Agency, our producers. Josh French, our technical producer. Phil Van Drunen, our producer. Peter Romero, our graphics and music supervisor. Alyssa and Sheridan Youngval, who built the set that you see behind me. Uh, thank you to Blaine Chastain, who owns the studio in the building that we're in. And thank you to everybody who watches. We love you all, and Jamin, again, thank you so much for being on the show, and until next time, nasravi, cheers. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs>